continues to fight for full control of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions that make up the territories in the occupied Crimea, including by wiping out the last pocket of Ukrainian resistance in the besieged port city of Mariupol. That's according to Ukraine's general staff speaking on Saturday. Evacuation efforts for civilians were also continuing Saturday. Russia said, too, today it plans to deploy its newly tested Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of mounting nuclear strikes against the United States by autumn. The target, stated by Dmitry Rogozin, head of Roscosmos Space Agency, is an ambitious one as Russia reported its first test launch only on Wednesday. Western diplomat military experts say more will be needed before the missile can be deployed. The Ukrainian prime minister said that he absolutely expected the United States would eventually reopen its embassy in Ukraine, but stopped short of predicting when that would happen. It will happen absolutely, but we will wait, the prime minister told reporters Friday at the conclusion of a visit to Washington when he was asked whether he had received assurances from the U.S. that it would reopen its embassy. The leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, whose backing for Moscow's special military operation in Ukraine has dismayed many fellow Christians, said on Saturday he hoped it would end quickly, but again did not condemn it. For more news, visit voanews.com. This is VOA News. China's major financial hub of Shanghai reported more new COVID-19-related deaths on April 22nd as residents vented their anger over a harsh lockdown and strict censorship online. Shanghai's full city lockdown began at the start of April, though many people have been confined to their homes for much longer. In France, a Sunday vote will determine whether the pro-European centrist President Emmanuel Macron or the far-right anti-immigration candidate Marine Le Pen will govern France for the next five years. Rival regional powers Iran and Saudi Arabia resumed talks in the Iraqi capital after they were suspended in March. Iran's semi-official Noor News reported Saturday there was no confirmation from Saudi Arabia or Iraq on the resumption of talks. Amsterdam's main airport urged travelers on Saturday to stay away as a strike by ground personnel at the start of a school holiday caused chaos at Europe's third busiest airport. The terminal is too full at the moment. Shupal is calling on travelers to not come to the airport anymore, airport authorities said in a statement issued shortly before noon. At least 57 Palestinians were injured in clashes with Israeli police within the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound in Jerusalem, medics said, as violence persisted during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan at a site also revered by Jews. In what may presage wider conflict, Israel said two rockets were fired from Gaza, one falling short and another striking across the border without damage. It was the third such incident this week, breaking months of relative calm on the Gazan front. Cuba and the United States have taken a tentative step toward thawing relations and resuming joint efforts to address irregular migration. That's according to a senior Cuban official who spoke to the Associated Press on Friday following the highest level talks between the two countries in four years. And more on today's top story. Russia resumed its assault on the last, on the last Ukrainian defenders hold up in a giant steelworks in Mariupol, a Ukrainian official said on Saturday, days after Moscow declared victory in the southern port city and said its forces did not need to take the factory. 
Russian forces were hitting the Azovstal complex with airstrikes and trying to storm it, a presidential advisor said, adding, the enemy is trying to strangle the final resistance of Mariupol's defenders. For more news, please visit us at voanews.com. Via remote, I'm Laurel Bowman for VOA News. And welcome to Nightline Africa. We are coming to you from the English service of the Voice of America. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Clote in Washington, D.C. To just demonstrate their incompetence. You know, I talked about that search warrant, which was wrongly uh, constructed. Even when in this country, when you want to serve someone with a search warrant, I mean a, a, a summons, there's a procedure to follow. And they didn't follow it. And that's why I never received it. Former president of Botswana says he has yet to officially receive a court summons to answer to criminal charges. There are a number of diplomatic efforts uh, that are underway, in addition to the ones that uh, you know, are in the public domain. So we're doing all we can, uh, together with our international partners, uh, to, to nudge the two countries towards finding a durable, a durable peaceful solution to this uh, conflict. South Africa calls for dialogue and cessation of hostilities in the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The opposition party, you know, boldly would come in and purchase farms for their members to, you know, come into our part to pretend to be running, you know, a race, when in fact they're only there to destabilize the party and create, you know, crisis. And Nigeria's ruling All Progressives Congress, or APC, announces fees for the nomination of aspiring candidates. Those stories and more coming up on Nightline Africa. Former president of Botswana, Serete Kama Ian Kama, says he has yet to officially receive a court summons to answer to criminal charges. The charges include illegal acquisitions, illegal possession and theft of firearms, charges he denies. The former president, who is in a self-imposed exile in neighboring South Africa, says the charges are politically motivated, but critics say he must return to defend his alleged illegal activities, just like any other citizen who is accused of violating the country's laws. For reaction to the charges he faces, I reached former Botswana President Serete Kama Ian Kama by phone. You will recall that when I left the ruling party, which is a party that I had the privilege to lead for 10 years, a party that my father actually was, uh, which who formed with other people, um, it was an extremely difficult and painful decision for me to do. But I could just not continue to be part of a party which had abandoned all its democratic principles and values under the leadership of the current dictator, Masisi. So ever since that happened, and I joined with the opposition parties against them, there has been this relentless uh, attempt of harassment and intimidation against me. You will recall that 
They even fabricated an affidavit saying that I had stolen an equivalent of 10 billion US dollars from our central bank, which the government or the country didn't even have. And this was all designed to try to arrest me, lock me up, discredit me um, in any manner they can and people associated with me. That case was thrown out by the, the High Court in Botswana. They said it was fabricated and the person who authored it had to be charged with perjury. And ever since they lost that case, they then came up with a second attempt. Are you sure that the weapons that you have upon which you are being charged are all legally owned and licensed? When they came up with the charges, they actually quoted the serial numbers of those weapons. They quoted the names of the weapons. Now, they've never seen those weapons of mine. They've never seen them. They're in my house. So they got that information from where weapons are recorded. And there is an organized or a department within the police called the Central Arms Registry. The police are responsible for licensing weapons. And you can only get that information from the police because the weapon is licensed. How else would you get that information? So yes, I'm saying to you, those weapons are licensed. So Mr. President, a lot of people have been wondering what led to this fallout between yourself and the current president, Masisi, because the two of you have been allies for a very long time. The reason why this fallout came about was because I was not just going to stand by and see everything we had worked for, for over 50 years in building Botswana to the, the, the beacon of democracy that it was, the good reputation it had for good governance, upholding the rule of law and human rights, over all the years on the African continent, you know, we, we stood apart from the rest. And even in the world, our rankings and ratings continue to improve for peace and stability. I wasn't just going to stand by and see that eroded. Well, Mr. President, some critics of yours are saying that you ran away from Botswana because you know you will be facing charges of these ammunitions that you have that are illegal and on license, and that's why you left. Let me, let me tell you, before I came to South Africa, they wanted to take possession of my weapons. They actually came to my house with a search warrant. But the search warrant was wrong. It had mistakes in it. And my lawyer said, because they've got mistakes, you cannot go ahead and search the house. And they admitted that. And then I chipped in. I intervened. I said, look, I have got absolutely nothing to hide. You didn't need your search warrant. All you needed to do was to come to me and say, can you display the weapons you have and their licenses? So I, we agreed there and then. I said, come tomorrow. I will display my weapons to you and all the licenses that you want to see. So the next day, we laid them out, waiting for them at the agreed time. And then they sent a message to say, no, unfortunately, they have to run away for some other operation. They'll come on Monday. So we put them away. Monday, they made no contact with us. Mr. President, have you been formally presented with the charges that you currently face? No. And that's why I wasn't in court, because if there is a summons that was supposed to be served on me, I never saw that summons. And that's why I wasn't in court. And I think, I believe the magistrate accepted that and he has postponed the case to sometime in June. And there again, to just demonstrate their incompetence. You know, I talked about that search warrant 
which was wrongly uh, constructed. Even when in this country, when you want to serve someone this search warrant, I mean a, a, a summons, there's a procedure to follow. And they didn't follow it. And that's why I never received it. Serenity Kama Ian Kama is a former president of Botswana. He spoke with me from an undisclosed location. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa is calling for dialogue and cessation of hostilities in the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The President's remarks follow telephone calls with Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky and Russian President Vladimir Putin. For more on the conversations Ramaphosa had with both Ukraine and Russia leaders and the latest efforts by South Africa, I reached Clayson Moniela. He is the head of public diplomacy at the Department of International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa's government. We've been very consistent in calling for a cessation of hostilities and for diplomacy to be given a chance. Our principled uh, position is that uh, international disputes uh, are best resolved through peaceful means, and that means meaningful dialogue, that means negotiations, uh, that means... uh, uh, you lay down your arms and uh, you talk and you negotiate and you arrive at a durable solution that uh, will avoid further loss of life and further destruction of property and infrastructure. And that's what South Africa has been calling for. Uh, we've been encouraged by you know the fact that the two sides have begun uh, talking uh, to each other. And- Clayson, is South Africa willing from Africa to help diplomatically to reach the objective of your call for an end to hostilities? Does that mean that the call between the president and the two conflicting countries, uh, heads of the conflicting countries, uh, dovetails into the objective of the call by South Africa for the immediate cessation of hostilities? No, certainly. Uh, In a situation where there are two sides, uh, as diplomats, uh, we also stand ready to support uh, the effort of the international community uh, to assist the two sides to, to, to find a solution to this. And uh, South Africa is doing its part and playing its part and stand ready uh, to play in a bigger role um, uh, to, to arrive at a solution to this. What role will South Africa play in urging the rest of Africa uh, to also call for cessation of hostilities there? I think if you look at uh, the, the votes that have happened at the UN General Assembly, the two resolutions that have been voted on, and you look at the number of African countries that abstained, uh, you get a sense that uh, Africa as a continent agrees with South Africa's position, which is non-aligned. We are not neutral. We are non-aligned. Uh, we've decided to be on the side of peace. We're calling for cessation of hostilities. We believe that the two sides uh, have to behave in such a manner that they respect international law, humanitarian law, and the UN Charter. Uh, so Africa as a continent generally uh, agrees with this non-aligned position. Uh, and uh, we, we, we are making the same call as uh, a number of African countries that we need to assist both Russia and Ukraine uh, to commit to negotiations, to commit to a peaceful way of resolving this conflict so that we avoid further loss of life and humanitarian suffering that we are currently experiencing. How do you think diplomatically this can be resolved when 
the fighting is still going on, negotiations are ongoing, but it seems not to be making any headway to end the conflict. Well, in a situation like this, you have to continue to, to use diplomacy. You have to continue to speak to both sides. Um, in addition to the calls that uh, our president has had with the uh, president of uh, Russia and Ukraine, you would know that uh, South Africa is a member of BRICS, uh, where we, uh, you know, meet with uh, our counterparts in Russia, uh, as well as uh, from China, Brazil, and India. So we also utilize uh, those platforms uh, to to make the same call. I mean, in Moscow, for example, uh, the foreign minister of Russia has had meetings with the ambassadors from the BRICS countries, including uh, the South African ambassador. And even in that meeting, we again made the same call and we're nudging them uh, towards uh, uh, what we believe uh, will bring about a, a durable and lasting peaceful solution to the crisis. So there are a number of diplomatic efforts uh, that are underway, in addition to the ones that uh, you know, are in the public domain. So we're doing all we can, uh, together with our international partners, uh, to, to nudge the two countries towards finding a durable, a durable peaceful solution to this uh, conflict. Clayson Monella is the head of public diplomacy at the Department of International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa's government. He spoke with me from the capital, Pretoria. In Nigeria, the ruling All Progressive Congress, or APC, has announced fees for the nomination of aspiring candidates, including presidential, senatorial, and House of Representatives. This following a recent meeting by the National Executive Committee in the capital, Abuja. A presidential candidate seeking to lead the party in next year's general election must pay 100 million naira, that is $240,628, to purchase nomination forms. The high price tag, critics say, makes Nigeria the most expensive country for presidential primaries in West Africa. Some members of the APC are calling for a review, but added that if the fees are maintained, aspirants would have no choice but to come up with the funds or be disqualified. For the latest development, I reach barrister Felix Morka, the National Publicity Secretary of the APC. We had a national executive committee meeting of the party. The meeting was convened to uh, approve certain decisions that has been made by the National Working Committee of the party. Now, there are two significant uh, decisions that were made out of that meeting. Uh, the first was to devolve some of next authority to the National Working Committee, the NWC, for a period of 90 days, so that over that period, which covers effectively the period of our primaries, the NWC will then have the authority to exercise all of the powers of NEC that pertain to the process of our primaries. Now, the second item that was discussed and approved, yes, there was the schedule of our activities for the primaries itself. So we were able to roll out at the plan from the availability of forms through to the primaries and eventually the presidential convention, which is the culmination of the process of primaries for the party. Those were the two major uh, decisions that were taken. Barisa Moka, when does the party plan to have the nomination and when does your convention begin to choose the candidate or presidential aspirant who will lead the party in next year's general election? 
Um, well, the period uh, runs now between the 22nd up until the 1st of June. Now, between that period, we will have the, the programs of Camry for the governorship uh, position for the State House of Assembly, for the House of Representatives, the, the, the Senate, and then the uh, presidential primaries, which is the convention, which is the uh, you know, end of the process. Uh, that is due to hold between the uh, 30th of May and the 1st uh, of June. The APC came up with the amount of money candidates from the president right down to the House of Representatives need to pay in order to purchase the nomination forms. For example, the presidential aspirant would have to come up with 100 million naira, which is approximately 240,000 US dollars in order to purchase the forms to contest at the primaries to become the leader of the party in next year's general election. Some people are saying it's too exorbitant. Yes, we've, we've had some of those um, you know, commentary uh, since we rolled out yesterday. Now, the fact of the matter is that, you know, the first point I make is that this party uh, today has a membership base of, you know, about 45 million members who are available to be contacted and, you know, um, requested by these aspirants to support them. Because, you know, look, we... Our political culture is evolving. And we are now at the point where we believe that, you know, yes, the 100 million naira, we don't, you know, for those who can afford it, that's fine. For those who can and who have aspirations to run for the office of president, we expect them to reach out to this huge membership of the party and ask for, you know, their contribution, like they do even in the United States. I mean, also contributed. So we want to evolve the culture. Because it is up until now, when these things happen, the individuals who have money can afford to pay their way. But we're saying to everyone who is interested in running, to also explore that avenue. Now, having said that, this party, like, you know, parties all over the world, do not have any sort of statutory, you know, uh, funding for its activities. This is one of the few ways that the party is able to bring in revenue, with which they conduct both the primaries itself and the general election. Now, keep in mind that a, a proportion of this money that is collected over this period is eventually allocated back to the state chapters of the party to finance the party's you know, campaign on behalf of these same candidates when they become candidates. So ultimately, it's almost like you know, putting some money away to the party to help you also run your race and hopefully win your election. Now, finally, I, I want to make the point that, you know, up until now, our experience has been that every time we roll out uh, announcements of this nature, the opposition party, you know, boldly, would come in and purchase forms for their members to, you know, come into our party to pretend to be running, you know, a race when in fact they're only there to destabilize the party and create, you know, crisis. Barrister Felix Morka is the National Publicity Secretary of Nigeria's Ruling All Progressive Congress, or APC. He spoke with me from the capital, Abuja. Meanwhile, concerned Nigeria for the protection of human rights and rule of law, a political pressure group says nomination fees announced by the ruling APC is unacceptable. The group also criticized the main opposition People's Democratic Party or PDP over its nomination fees. An aspiring presidential candidate of the PDP must purchase nomination forms for 40 million naira, approximately $96,258 to qualify for the primaries. Political analysts say nomination fees for the leading political parties are too expensive contending 
that they encourage corruption and prevent young people from seeking the presidency. Deji Adeyanju is the convener for Concern Nigeria for the Protection of Human Rights and Rule of Law. He tells me that the country's anti-corruption agency must investigate the source of funding for anybody who pays the fees announced by the political parties. Our reaction is that this encourages uh, co corruption in because uh, uh, we do not know what kind of business or trade anyone would be doing uh, that to run for the office of the president just to buy an ordinary form, an inconsequential form, uh, that one needs to pay over 240,000 US dollars for that. Because even if someone was running for the president of the uh, United Nations, the Secretary of the United Nations, it's free. If somebody is running to be president in the U.S., you don't buy from at 240,000 U.S. dollars. You know, so no matter how we look at it, this is the most expensive presidential form in any part of the world. You know, it encourages corruption. We already complained of massive corruption uh, when uh, the PDP was in power uh, and when President Buhari was in opposition. He was crying over 20 million naira nomination form that the APC packed then. So you look at it holistically, you see that, so what has changed? Why did he run to the president under him? His parties, again, uh, nomination form 100 million naira. You know, EFC is to actually arrest any politician that buys that form. So Deji, why should a politician be arrested if the executives of the party decided that this is uh, the amount that you have to pay uh, for the party to raise some money to campaign among other issues and to weed out those they deem unserious. Okay, so where do the party expect you to go and get 100 million naira from? It's not from corruption. Are people going to take bank loan to go and get to buy the form? And this is why we're calling the ESG to be involved in the process. ESG should be involved in it. If somebody goes to purchase the 100 million naira form, ESG should go and ask him where did the person get the money to buy the form? Where? And all these groups that spring up to say they want to go and buy the form for somebody, ESG should also investigate them. Where did they get the money from? Deji, the PDP for its presidential aspirants are asked to pay 40 million naira. Oh. The SDP is 35 million, and of course, the APC, of which your organization is uh, expressing concern about, is 100 million naira. What do you say to those? It is outrageous. A nomination form should not be more than 1 million, 2 million naira. In a poverty stricken con uh, country, the poverty capital, Nigeria is the poverty capital of the world. In fact, Public service is about sacrifice. You don't turn it into a business venture. Because what the APC is doing in particular, how can you pay it 100 million? Is that the, the APC is encouraging massive corruption. That people should go into public office to go and run business. People should go into public office to go and loot. People should go into public office to recoup their investment. This is looking more like a stock market and stock broking deal. This no longer looks like service to the people. Well, some people are suggesting that this is a group thing. If you if you don't have money to support your presidential ambitions, then you shouldn't go there. Governance and public service should be about sacrifice. It should not be monetized. It should not be a business venture. You know, and that is why during the First Republic, you saw that many of the public servants, they had their own businesses. They were not even paid by taxpayers' money. In a poor country that can barely service its debt cannot be funding the expensive lifestyle of politicians to the tune of trillions yearly. You know, and this is why the first Republican politicians, they usually go to office, close from their office, and go to go and do voluntary service to the nation. They were not being paid. Official cars were not being bought for them. So we need to revert back to that system of governance. And this kind of outrageous domination fees 
you know, which encourages corruption, cannot lead us there. Nigeria needs to take extraordinary steps to survive. If not, these countries are already almost bankrupt. Deji, do you think there's a political will for the EFCC or the anti-corruption organization in Nigeria to, in, to investigate independently those who are purchasing some of these forms for their candidates? Wouldn't it be witch hunting? How can there be? Yeah, how can there be? Because the EFCC has currently composited. It's even doing its best. When the president has just pardoned uh, Darie and, and uh, Dinyane, you know, and look at, look at how dampening that can be for uh, Bauer and those at the hems of affairs in the EFCC, for God's sake. You do that, despite all the efforts, despite all the uh, uh, things that, that they're trying to do to sanitize the system. So if you are an EFCC operative, how will you feel? Deji Adeyanju is the convener for Concern Nigeria for the Protection of Human Rights and Rule of Law. He spoke with me from the capital, Abuja. Join me, Peter Clote, on the next Straight Talk Africa. Have an exclusive conversation with Yuwari Museveni, the president of Uganda for over three decades. We discuss democracy, security, and stability in Africa, and lots more. Yuwari Museveni, in his own words, Wednesday on Straight Talk Africa at 18:30 UTC. Listening to Nightline Africa on the English service of the Voice of America. I'm your host, Peter Clotte, in Washington, D.C. And coming up in the second half of Nightline Africa, the Saturday music spot from our collection of music from the continent. But first, in observance of International Mother Earth Day, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warns the planet is facing a triple crisis of climate disruption, biodiversity loss, and pollution. But he says history shows the worst can be prevented from happening when nations work together to tackle impending environmental crisis. For VOA, Lisa Schlein has more from Geneva. Environmentally, the planet was on a downward slide well before the UN General Assembly adopted a resolution designating April 22nd in 2009 as International Mother Earth Day. The aim of this day is to celebrate the wonders of Mother Earth. The day also is meant to shed light on the issues threatening the health of the world's ecosystems to ensure their survivability. Unfortunately, says UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, humans have been poor custodians of our fragile planet, which is facing a triple planetary crisis. Climate disruption, nature and biodiversity loss, pollution and waste. The triple crisis is threatening the well-being and survival of millions of people around the world. The building blocks of happy, healthy lives, clean water, fresh air, a stable and predictable climate are in disarray, putting the sustainable development goals in jeopardy. Ecosystems support all life on Earth. A healthy ecosystem depends on a healthy planet. Yet scientists warn the planet is losing 4.7 million hectares of forests every year. They estimate around 1 million animal and plant species are now threatened with extinction. And the warming of the planet, they say, could lead to a climate disaster, rendering the planet uninhabitable. Despite the dire outlook, 
Guterres says not all is lost. He says there is still hope of saving Earth if nations act together to tackle the problems that are endangering the well-being of the planet. He notes much has been accomplished since the global environmental movement started 50 years ago at a conference in Stockholm, Sweden. He says nations have negotiated agreements which have, among others, succeeded in shrinking the ozone hole. They have expanded protections for wildlife and ecosystems and have ended the use of leaded fuel, thus preventing millions of premature deaths. But we need to do much more and much faster, especially to avert climate catastrophe. We must limit global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees, and we are far off track. At the same time, we must invest rapidly in adaptation and resilience, particularly for the poorest and most vulnerable who have contributed least to the crisis. In June, Sweden will host a high-level UN meeting to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the first UN conference on the human environment. Guterres says the gathering of world leaders will be a great moment to address the triple planetary emergency. He says we only have one Mother Earth, so everyone must do everything to protect her. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Zimbabweans continue to enter South Africa illegally, despite the growing tension between South Africans and foreign nationals, especially illegal immigrants. Two weeks ago, Zimbabwean national Elvis Nyathi was stoned and burned to death by a vigilante group that was looking for illegal immigrants. But South Africa's Home Affairs Department says that has not deterred new arrivals. For VOA, Thusa Kumalo reports from Johannesburg, South Africa. Home Affairs Minister Aaron Mutsualeti said between April 11th and 18th, immigration officials arrested close to 1,000 Zimbabweans trying to enter the country illegally. People have seen that now there is action because in the past they were just doing whatever they wanted. They believe, I, in South Africa you can smuggle cigarettes, you can steal tires, you can, you can come without a passport, you can smuggle illegal people in and nothing will happen to you. Now we are saying that time is over. Mutualete also said he has banned the entry of a bus company that has been caught several times carrying undocumented immigrants into the country. He was speaking to reporters at the Bait Bridge border crossing to Zimbabwe on Monday. The Home Affairs Department has intensified its crackdown on illegal immigrants. On Tuesday, more than 300 suspected illegal immigrants, likely from Zimbabwe, appeared at the Randberg Magistrate Court after they were arrested in Dutlut Township. Increasingly, vigilante groups are demanding that all undocumented foreign nationals be deported, alleging that they take scarce, low-skilled jobs. South Africa's unemployment rate has topped 35%. And in recent days, many Zimbabweans have expressed desire to go home following the killing of Elvis Nyati. An anti-immigrant mob stoned and burned the Zimbabwean national to death earlier this month. At Nyati's memorial service last week in Johannesburg, mourners shouted down the Zimbabwean ambassador, saying the Zimbabwean government mismanagement forced thousands of them to seek work in South Africa. Bongani Mkwananzi, spokesperson of the Zimbabwe Community in South Africa organization, told VOA that it is within the Zimbabwe government's power to keep its citizens within its borders. 
He said the government needs to deal with the country's collapsing currency and to stabilize the economy. As long as the currency question is not addressed, economic revival is still going to be a long way to come. You need to then look into other political issues that surround the trust factor into a currency. Use uh, perhaps the rand as a currency of reference or just use the the multi-currency regime as we, we did previously. Tension between South Africans and foreign nationals is brewing again in Cape Town, Soweto, with South Africans alleging foreign nationals are behind the murder of a local resident. On Friday, tension is expected to rise further at the Randbeck Magistrate Court when seven South Africans charged with Nyati's murder appear in court to apply for bail. Tuso Kumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. Right now it's time for music from African Collection.
espectáculo. Chita. 
That was music from the continent and we hope you enjoyed it. Nightland Africa comes to you on Saturdays and Sundays at 16 and 18 hours UTC from the English service of The Voice of America. And from the rest of the Nightline team, including producer Saida Hamdoun, we say a big thank you for joining us tonight. And remember, as the elders say, quality beads do not rattle. I'm your host, Peter Clotte in Washington, D.C. Good evening, Africa. VOA News. Via remote, I'm Diane Roberts. Russia resumed its assault on the last Ukrainian defender's holdup in a giant steelworks in Mariupol, a Ukrainian official said Saturday, days after Moscow declared victory in the southern port city and said its forces did not need to take the factory.